Hello, everyone. How are you? Good afternoon. I hear some murmurs of hello and good afternoon and everything. It's good to see everyone again. I know there are some people I haven't met yet, but I will later. I'll make sure I go around. We all will. My name is Dave, and I'm invited to preach here every, every so often. So the passage that Kevin just read is Psalm 131. Now, I don't know if you may remember this name from your past in church, but there was a great 19th century English preacher named Charles Spurgeon. And he said that this psalm is one of the shortest psalms to read at only three verses, but it's one of the longest to learn. It speaks about a young child, but it contains the experience of a mature person in Christ, of a mature adult. So... Thank you, Kevin, for reading. And just so this can be fresh in our minds, I'm just going to go over it one more time so it's fresh in us. This is a song of ascents. There were 15 psalms in a row, which were called Psalms of Ascents, which different people within the kingdoms of, of Israel and Judah would recite as they were going up to their annual pilgrimage to the temple. And this is one of the, the latter psalms in those 15. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Three verses, and we're going to be looking at this a little bit more closely. Now, through a show of hands, for those of you who are comfortable with doing so, can anyone tell me if they remember playing a game as kids called Mother May I? Okay, yeah, we have some people. Okay, good, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one here. So there was a game when we played as kids. It's called Mother May I, and it was a little bit maybe like Simon Says. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I remember this right. In Mother May I, one person plays the mother, and then everyone else stands uh, the same distance away, and, and they're, they're all the players. So the person who's the mother will call out each person individually, saying something like, Janie, take three steps forward. And, and then Janie would have to say, Mother, may I? And the mother responds, yes, you may. John, take two rabbit hops forward. Mother, may I? Yes, you may. Now, the trick in this game is that, especially as kids, energetic kids, we're so eager to move forward because we want to win the game that when it gets to us, we forget to say, Mother, may I? That's right. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's possible, but just imagine with me for a second. Imagine if you did everything right, you said, Mother, may I? And then the mother character says, No, you may not but I did everything right. What is this, no, you may not? And I think a lot of times we experience that in our relationship with God. We think we've got a handle on God, and this happens many times in our lives. We think we have a handle on God. We're just like, okay, I know how this works. I pray, God grants my prayer, this goes on. But then a monkey wrench gets thrown into our life. We, and, and things don't work out for us anymore. We're, we feel like we're saying, Mother, may I, or Father, may I. Um, but for the sake of the psalm, we'll say, Mother, may I. And we keep getting, no, you may not. 
Why no, you may not? Why no, you may not? And we keep hearing, or at least feel like we hear that no, you may not, and it becomes frustrating because the God we thought was generous seems distant. Seems like there's a, a stone wall between us and God. This is our experience. This is how we feel. Um, sometimes we experience a chaos in our life, a crisis in our life. Things go haywire. It could be a health problem. It could be a relationship problem. It could be a death. Something happens where you think, I did all the right things. And still this is happening. I did all the right things. And still I'm not experiencing the goodness of God. I'm not experiencing the goodness of God. So as we look at this psalm, we're going to answer, we're going to delve into a few questions. I don't presume to answer all of them. But some of these questions are, how do we react when trouble comes? How can we experience a peace of mind inside when a storm is raging outside? So in this psalm, God invites us to examine our hearts. So walk with me as we do that. God invites us here into his presence and to not give into panic. And also God invites us here to value a life of presence more than a life of painlessness. Think about it, if, if we were God, and a lot of times we, we presume to be God, what we would want to do is escape all the pain in our lives. We would want to escape uh, all the adversity, all the people that are causing us harm. But what kind of life would that be? It would be a life in which we're protected, but a life in which we can experience love. And what did God choose to do? Jesus who is God wrapping himself in human flesh, comes into the world and comes into a world of pain and hardship. And because he did that, he demonstrated his love for us. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Verse 1, it says, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Now, sometimes we can raise our heart and sometimes we can raise our eyes for good reasons, in petition to God. We look up to who God is. But in this psalm, it's talking about our pretensions, our, our eyes, we want something that's above us. We want something that's above our pay grade. We want something that's above our knowledge. We want certainty that we can't get, at least not right now. We want an explanation, and we, we, we just don't have that explanation anymore. We, we thought we understood we don't have that anymore. Because here when it says our heart is lifted up, our eyes are raised too high, it's because we desire the throne of God which is not our place. We desire something that we can't get. We, being finite, stretch and desire the infinite and start tearing ourselves apart because we cannot know sometimes. We cannot know the unknowable, and that causes us stress. That causes us pain. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes 5, God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Let that be our meditation. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Let your words be few. God gets us to a point where we just got to trust God. The things we once trusted, the explanations, the way things worked, they, they just, at some point, they just break and fail. 
And we can't rely on the explanation. We have to rely upon God himself. I like how it says here, I do not occupy myself with things that are too great and too wonderful for me. Sometimes we fill our minds with things that we can't know and we wear ourselves out by trying to know things that we can't know. And I think sometimes uh, we can have the tendency to occupy ourselves with over-concern. But when I think about occupy, I think about that little word that appears on the bathroom handle in uh, airport bathrooms and in porta bodies. Someone goes in it, they lock the door, and when you're outside, you see the word goes from vacant to occupied. And occupied means that there is someone in that small restroom. And if I may be so bold, sometimes it isn't just that person that's occupying the restroom. It's all the smells that they're creating, too. Why do I bring this up? Because when we fill ourselves with things that, uh, that are beyond us, we fill ourselves with stinking thinking. We fill ourselves with things which are not our domain to fill ourselves up, uh, to fill ourselves with. We don't want our minds to be like an occupied bathroom with beings. We want to be open. We want to be open to God. Now we're moving to the central metaphor that this psalm is using, a weaned child, which, as a man who's not a father, I knew very little about. I was about to go into the sermon with not even knowing the definition of meaning, never mind um, what it means uh, symbolically. So thankfully, I had my friend Sarah, who's a mother of three, explain it to me and also explain the symbolism. So I'm going to reach that in a little bit. I think what's notable in this verse is that, I'm going to read verse 2 again. It says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is its soul within me. What's notable here is it doesn't say, like a nursing child is my soul within me. We, we would think that metaphor would work better at first, right? Like a nursing child, a nursing child at its, at its mother's breast has everything it needs. It has comfort, it knows it's held, it knows it's getting the nourishment. But a weaned child, a weaned child is one that the mother is intentionally taking off nursing for a greater purpose. So without me um, giving my explanation, I'm just gonna read my words to my friend Sarah, who's a mother, and I think she, she says it much better than I can ever do. So I'll read her words now. She said, let me tell you, if you're going to preach on Psalm 131, you need to know what a big deal a weaned child resting contentedly on its mother's chest is. It's the biggest deal that ever was a deal. <laughs> Nursing is so comforting to babies, and I don't mean that in any light or flip kind of way. Like, everything can be wrong, pain can be happening, shots, tongue-tie revision, which means their mouth just got sliced into, gas pain, which is basically the end of the world if you are a newborn and you don't know what is going on, a baby can be screaming like you wouldn't believe, turning purple, sweating through its clothes, absolutely all but bursting into flames like Jack-Jack in the Incredibles. And the moment nursing is available and they got all snuggled up skin to skin, 
Nothing else matters. Everything is set right. There is palpable peace. And biblical nursings were any kid under five, so it's very likely that David, the psalm writer, is referencing a toddler here. 18 months to two years old, I bet. Because he's talking about a baby who has weaned. I can't imagine a culture weaning intentionally before two when lots of babies didn't even make it to two at this time. And if he's mentioning that struggle, yeah, two-ish. Weaning a toddler means teaching them to literally quit the thing that has brought them instant and complete comfort and security for as long as it can remember. And being on his or her mother's lap and quieting him or herself is a powerful image. Because before a toddler is fully weaned, being near the breasts means pulling on the shirt, being told no, hysterical, and I mean hysterical, crying and thrashing. But once they get it and learn that it's not actually the nursing, but just literally mom who is the comfort, they can sit contentedly like that. I could cry talking about it, she says. It's everything. Mom being the metaphorical stand-in for God here, I'd imagine. We've become... God takes us to a point where we've become so used to receiving from God in a certain way where God cuts that off and God wants us to learn to, to trust him in a new way that we're not used to. Can we rest contentedly? Can we still and quiet our soul? In verse 3, David says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Because for David, it's not enough to individually and personally still and quiet his soul before God. He wants his whole nation to do that too. Because if we're experiencing that joy and peace before God individually, we want others to experience that too. We want our community to experience that too. And those of you who are familiar with the story of the Old Testament know that Israel was under constant adversity. Threats from foreign armies, threats from empires that sometimes did undo them, and even threats from within. Disorder and disobedience. So that's how it applied to Israel, and how does that apply to us individually? Restore our soul, well, I can't answer that for you. How does that apply to us? How does that apply to our community? Hope in the Lord. Is our trust in the Lord bigger than the things we used to depend on? I'll add with this, and stay with me because I'm going to get a little symbolic over here. In the first few verses of Genesis, we hear, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. Different translations, instead of hovered, may say vibrated or pulsed. The Spirit of God brooded, that's another translation, over the surface of the water. The writer is intentionally using uh, a verb that means something was about to give birth, like, like a hen. That's, that's sitting on his eggs, incubating them, waiting for them to hatch. 
So here we go. In creation, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Now, see the ancient line? Waters uh, meant the unknown, meant chaos. But God is so good, God brings order out of chaos. God brings a wasteland into a life-giving paradise. I think you see where I'm going with this. When our life is turbulent, when our life is feels like a mess, when our life is uncertain, when we don't feel like we know where to stand, we can submit ourselves to the presence of God and know that the Spirit is hovering over the chaos in our lives and is bringing it to life and is bringing it to order and is bringing it to fullness. Praise God. Let me end with a prayer. God, thank you that we've learned more about what the cross is today. I know I didn't explicitly mention the cross in the message today, but what the cross is, the cross shows us that the way we experience new life is going through death. Now, we all experience struggles, we all experience difficulties, but what Jesus commanded his disciples is to take up our cross daily and follow him. When he says, take up your cross daily, that means our own cross is particular to us. It's a different struggle in which we need to learn to die to ourselves daily, to die to the, to the way things were, to die to the things we once held on to. Because the blessing that we experience is that with Jesus, when we go through that death, we find life on the other side. A life that's more lively than the life we left behind. So Lord, we ask you that you would grant us the patience and perseverance to consciously trust you as you bring us through all the different types of death in our life, to life and restoration, and wholeness, and newness, and joy, and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.